we need to talk about the rule of law. A podcast by Verfassungsblock and Deutscher Anwaltsverein. We need to talk about the European Court of Justice. The court has been in the middle of the European rule of law crisis for the last couple of years. And it has called out rule of law violations, especially in Hungary and Poland, multiple times. But the court can't defend the rule of law in the European Union on its own, and it needs institutional partners in this struggle. For example, it needs someone to file cases. Does the European Commission do enough on its part? Who is the guardian of the treaties? The Commission, the court, or none of the two? The European Council is able to decide on sanctions against member states using the procedure of Article 70 EU, but that tool has not been effective so far. So, do we witness the juridification of a political conflict that puts too much of a burden on the court? This is what we will discuss in this week's episode of We Need to Talk About the Rule of Law, brought to you by Verfassungsblock and the German Bar Association Deutsche Anwaltverein with our distinguished guests. Katharina Barley is Vice President of the European Parliament. She has held several cabinet posts on the federal level in Germany, including a term as Minister of Justice. Before that, she has been an attorney and a judge. Didier Reinders is European Commissioner for Justice. He has held several cabinet posts on the federal level in Belgium, including a term as Minister of Foreign and European Affairs. And Laurent Pesch. He is Professor of European Law and Head of the Law and Politics Department at Middlesex University, London. I'm Leonard Kokot, a member of Verfassungsblock's editorial team, and I'm very happy to have you all on the show. Commissioner Reinders, to dive right in, um, the ECJ, which is um, at the heart of, of today's episode, in a way rules about the compliance of member states with European rule of law standards, but someone has to file cases before court may do so and someone has to enforce judgments. Is that a task the commission owns up to? And is the commission still the guardian of the treaties? No, of course we are the guardian of the treaties and we uh, organize the process in different ways. You spoke about the uh, infringement proceedings and the way to enforce the decision of the court after that. But so the first phase to go to the court is to introduce an infringement proceedings and we try to do that in uh, the different situations where uh, we are thinking that there's a real breach to the rule of law and it was the case in many uh, member states but it's true that in the last uh, years it was more and more the, the case in Hungary and in, in Poland and of course if we don't have a correct uh, enforcement of the decision of the court uh, we have different tools to to try to uh, force the correct enforcement first of all of course uh, to be in touch with uh, the member state, the concerned member states, and have it's needed to go back to the uh, to the court. And um, of course, in all the different procedures, it's possible to do that following the, the treaties. That's the first uh, situation. But of course, uh, we have all the tools to try to uh, uh, be efficient in our role as a guardian of the treaties. And you know that for the first time this year, it was at the end possible to uh, come with a, a first rule of law report at the uh, EU level and so to engage a real dialogue with the member states and I must say with a very large majority of member states since the end of September we have received uh, many uh, response 
with uh, proposals to reform different kind of uh, processes to be in line with the report. Uh, it's the case in many member states, sometimes with huge reforms, like in Malta or in Bulgaria, sometimes with very precise. Yesterday, the Minister of Justice of the Netherlands said that we will change uh, the course of the things about the prosecutors in the Netherlands due to the report. We have had a huge debate in the last uh, weeks with Spain on the reforms of, uh, uh, in the justice system. And again, we have different tools, of course, to, to try to do that. And we are hoping that it will be possible to conclude in the near future to use a new tool, uh, I mean the conditionality between the uh, rule of law and the budget of the European Union, but uh, for the moment it's in the hand of the uh, European Council. Nevertheless, there are some people that argue that the Commission seems to be more eager to write reports than to actually try to sanction infringements of the treaties. What would you answer to that kind of criticism, yeah. Commissioner Reinders? No, we, we are doing both. I said, uh, after so many discussions in the European Parliament and in the Council, I was uh, in a previous capacity Minister of Foreign Affairs and uh, uh, European Affairs from Belgium in the Genève Council, I proposed in 2016 to organize a peer review on the rule of law. And for the first time, I said it was possible this year to come with a report of the Commission. That's a report, not just to, to put in the library, yeah? it's a report I said to discuss with the member states and you will see in the near future different reforms in many member states because we, we have a real dialogue with many member states. If it's not the case, if we don't see a reform, it's possible to go to the court. And the main action of the Commission, of course, in such a situation is to go to the Court of Justice. And just to give a, an idea about the situation in Poland for the moment, uh, we are, uh, with uh, uh, some infringement proceedings uh, in the, before the Court of Justice against uh, the situation in Poland. And first of all, for the moment, we are working on the so-called muzzle law. You have seen that uh, it was possible at the beginning of the year to act about disciplinary uh, procedures uh, about the judges in Poland, and we went to the court to ask, to ask interim measures and to suspend all the activities of the disciplinary chambers about the, the judges. And now today, we have uh, decided also to send an additional letter of uh, formal notice to Poland regarding the continued functioning of the Disciplinary Chamber of the Supreme Court, including as regards, because it's a new fact, uh, cases for the lifting of immunity of judges. Uh, so, and we have given one month to Poland to respond. Of course, uh, I've said that different times, we don't have exactly the same timeline than Twitter. And so, of course, I know that there are some reactions on Twitter to say there is a situation in one member state, you need to react in the morning and in the afternoon you will receive the response of the court. No, we try to go to the court with a very robust argumentation. And of course, we try to have full respect for the rule of law. So you know that in the procedure, we need to ask to the member state to respond. Then if it's uh, not satisfactory, we go to the court with like today, uh, uh, a formal notice and then uh, uh, we will like, start the procedure before the court. And I know that sometimes that take uh, years before to have a definitive decision, except if we ask like in the beginning of this year, interim measures. So we try to act and we try to receive new uh, tools to act because when I said that we, we, will, we are waiting for the conditionality and the new uh, regulation of the conditionality between the rule of law and the budget, it was a proposal of the Commission since 2018. And I must say that uh, uh, I was uh, appointed as Minister of Foreign Affairs in my country in December 2011. And in January uh, 2012, 
we discuss already at the EU level in the Council about the possible sanctions for the first reforms in Hungary. So you see that uh, it's a continuity, but it's not just with report. Of course, we need to go to the court uh, when we have a real uh, concern about the situation in one member state. Thank you very much. Um, if we look at Poland and Hungary in particular, we will find that an order of interim measures by the ECJ has not really been followed up on until today, one might say. Um, and the Commission hasn't been able to take definitive measures against Hungary. Does it really own up to its, its task then, uh, Professor Pesch? Thank you very much um, for this question. It's a difficult question. Before I, I try to answer directly, perhaps a bit of a background and context. And in fact, uh, why are you asking uh, this question today? I think you would not have asked uh, this question about 10 years ago. Um, uh, possibly you're asking the question today because more and more people are asking this very same question. And why are more and more people asking this uh, very uh, question? Is about, uh, it's because of what we have uh, experienced in the past 10 years uh, in the EU. Uh, I have spoken, I have written about uh, what I have called in my scholarship, rule of law backsliding. And uh, it has been in fact identified as a kind of a pressing, if not existential challenge by the European Commission itself for the first time in 2012. So we're not talking about a new problem. In fact, rule of law backsliding has worsened, if anything, uh, since 2012, since it was first identified by the Commission as a pressing issue. Um, by rule of law backsliding, what do I mean? It's very important to understand the unprecedented nature of the threat to the rule of law we are seeing in the EU. Uh, I think it's very important to emphasize the deliberate nature of the process. So we're talking here about national authorities deliberately undermining or seeking to undermine uh, checks and balances. Now, why would they want to do this? Essentially, we're talking here about the dismantlement of the democratic liberal state and the entrenchment of uh, the de facto uh, uh, ruling, uh, de facto, essentially, um, dominance of the ruling party. Uh, I would say Exhibit A is Hungary uh, in the EU and Exhibit B uh, is uh, Poland. Now, let me return to your question, uh, and, but I think it's important to understand the background. I would submit that uh, the Commission, I'm afraid, I uh, would have a more, um, a more skeptical and more critical assessment of the Commission's uh, record when it comes to the rule of law. So with respect, I'm going to disagree with uh, Commissioner Reinders. Um, I think the Commission is simply not acting uh, effectively and promptly and meaningfully uh, uh, to actually contain rule of law backsliding. Uh, we did mention uh, the ECJ order of 8 April 2020 regarding uh, Poland's uh, so-called disciplinary chamber. Now, Polish authorities are currently pretending that they're not acting in violation of this order when they are waiving uh, the judicial immunity of Polish judges. Surprise, surprise, uh, they have been targeting the Polish judges who have been the most vocal, the most critical about Polish reforms. Now, what do they do? Uh, they have been subjecting these Polish judges to absurd uh, criminal charges, and these criminal charges are brought by people under the control of the governmental coalition. They are formally prosecutors, but as we know, uh, the Minister of Justice is also now, uh, because of changes adopted in 2016, also the Prosecutor General. So there has been an amalgamation of the two roles. Now, uh, excuse me, uh, these uh, proceedings have resulted in the immediate adoption of disciplinary measures. Uh, the last case we have is the case of Judge Tuleya. So we have the disciplinary chamber allegedly uh, suspended. 
by the European Court of Justice adopting disciplinary measures right now. Uh, so disciplinary measures such as suspension of judges, uh, salary uh, cuts. Um, now, uh, we've seen today uh, a reaction from the Commission, but I would argue, uh, uh, and in fact, uh, an ECJ judge argued the same last week, that the ECJ order of April 2020 is already being violated. So there was another option available to the Commission, which the Commission didn't take, which was to return to the Court of Justice and ask for the imposition of a daily penalty payment. In fact, uh, I'm not the only critical voice uh, when it comes to uh, the Commission's possibly not sufficiently prompt reaction to violations of rule of law uh, standards and ECJ orders and judgments. We saw the Dutch Parliament for the very first time uh, a few days ago adopting a motion calling essentially on the Dutch government to lodge an interstate complaint against Poland due to the Commission's failure to react promptly to the violation of the ECJ order. We have also, uh, to the best of my knowledge, uh, the Commission is yet to react to the voiding of the ECJ judgment of November 2019 by the disciplinary chamber last September. So we're talking here about an allegedly, sorry, technically a, a body which should be suspended as far as judges uh, are concerned, uh, which formally voided a preliminary ruling judgment of the Court of Justice regarding this very body. Uh, now, uh, as far as I know, uh, but Commissioner Reinders can correct me if I'm wrong, uh, the Commission did not formally officially react to this uh, decision of last September. Now, so uh, also, uh, if I may, I mean, I've just been mentioning uh, Poland, but uh, uh, the Hungarian authorities are still uh, in violation. They have not complied with uh, ECJ judgment regarding the Lex NGO. So we're still waiting for uh, the Commission to bring back uh, Hungary before the Court of Justice to impose uh, financial sanctions on Hungary for their failure to comply with this ECJ judgment. Now, so essentially, uh, I'm sorry for being critical, uh, but in my view, but this is not simply uh, uh, this uh, commission, but also the previous two commissions, uh, when faced with a, a new threat to the rule of law, uh, essentially the default position has been to do too little too late, I'm afraid. Sorry for being critical, but this is uh, my perspective after years of studying uh, this uh, rule of law backsliding. In the Commission's defense, uh, possibly, uh, and in, in fact to defend the EU in a way, is uh, the EU was not arguably uh, prepared or even designed uh, to face uh, this kind of uh, bad faith actors engaged in an authoritarian, essentially, autocratization process. Uh, we have seen and we continue to see uh, representatives of uh, Hungarian authorities, Polish authorities, actually seeking to deliberately mislead EU institutions, which is also something unprecedented. We have seen uh, agents of these governments essentially misleading the Court of Justice during uh, uh, hearings at the Court of Justice, which is again, something unprecedented. Um, and then uh, these authorities have identified a weak spot uh, in the EU's uh, system of governance, which is the EU's default position to prefer dialogue. Now, dialogue does work when you're dealing with uh, good faith actors, but here we're dealing with bad faith actors, I'm afraid. And when you have a system designed uh, to favor dialogue over action in the short term, very prompt and very decisive action, then what do we see? Well, uh, we saw last year Hungary becoming the first authoritarian country in the EU, according to democracy experts, known as the VDEM uh, network. And I'm afraid Poland is on track to becoming the EU's second authoritarian regime by, let's say, within the next 12 to 24 months. So I would say, uh, I'm afraid, what I've seen, if I had to summarize, sorry for the long answer, 
it's too little too late too often thank you very much professor pesh has mentioned that or has has held the position that the um, european commission has not been acting acting meaningfully and you have mentioned article 259 tfeu um, which allows member states to file infringement procedures as well they are however hesitant to do so why is that um, vice president Bali, as a, a former member of, of the german government and could that change at some point as we are seeing motions in in, in the dutch parliament at the moment um, and, and would that be a, a good development well um of course the the commission is the guardian of the treaty um but um we are seeing that the member states are becoming more and more um well, fed up if you could put it that way um with the way that some member states are trying to um to change actually the fundamentals of the european union because it is not only anymore uh, a backsliding it's more than that it's because a backsliding always referred to or used at least used to refer to um, the member states themselves and we've seen problems in a lot of member states uh, during the, the years we've seen these major problems in Poland and Hungary um, but this has a new quality as Professor Pesch pointed out but also there is one new quality that is quite recent that they are actually now trying not only to change their or reshape their own countries, but also the European Union as a whole. They are doing this by saying that the rule of law is, um, is not defined anywhere in the European Union and that therefore um, it can be defined differently in every single member state. So it is actually a question of subsidiarity, if you want to put it that way. Um, and of course, this is complete nonsense, as we probably all know, but it is a narrative that connects extremely well with a lot of people. And I'm really surprised by this. Um, within the last week only, I've had three very different settings of panels with young people all over Europe, with experts who are, who are actually buying this narrative and are saying, how can we form a dialogue um, over what the rule of law could mean to in, in one member state or the other or if we can agree on something and uh, this is already buying the Trojan horse um, of Mr. Orban and Mr. Kaczynski because of course we have a common notion of the rule of law. Um, we don't have a single model of how um, member states have to organize their uh, whatever the independence of the judiciary or the separation of powers there can be different models but the, the, the result has to be the same in every member state so and and they are trying to 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 actually um take over the rule of law notion in the european union and this is something that is really absolutely unprecedented and very very dangerous and more and more member states are actually actually realizing this and are objecting to it because i think we here probably all agree that that the rule of law is the foundation of everything that we are doing in the, in the european union absolutely basically everything if it's if it's data exchange if it's european arrest warrants if it's if it's even trade policy um it's 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 the basis it's the fundament of everything and um i think if a member state 
um, uses this, this measure of Article 259, it is really in, in, in emergency because um, the, the council, I, I've, I've taken part of some, of course, works, has to work a bit like a Turkish bazaar because you always meet again. And you know very well that if you really are heavily aggressive towards one member state, it's gonna come back to you sometime. So of course, the council, much more than the commission or the parliament, is, depends on dialogue, um, which, is, which is okay. We have the other two, two uh, institutions to balance that. Um, but when it comes to the council itself, um, that is the, the, the reason why it is, happens very rarely. I think it was like four or five, maybe six times in, in history that one member state launched um, an infringement procedure towards another, uh, against another member state, because it is really only in very extreme cases. And, um, and this, I mean, the, I really have, have the highest respect for this, this decision by the Dutch Parliament because it really shows how, how, um, how important that this is. And I'm married to a Dutchman. I'm, I have, I've, I've been following this debate in the Netherlands very closely. This is not an elite debate. This is something that really concerns citizens. Also in Germany, um, whenever we have discussions here with the public, now only virtually, but before in public with, with real people um, present, um, it always uh, is a topic that is being raised. In every single discussion, people say, I'm a European from head to toe. I'm, I support the European Union wholeheartedly, but if we continue to support, to, to even tolerate, um, governments in the European Union that violate not only the rule of law, but do it deliberately, do it in bad faith, and now do it to reshape in the European Union. This is not what we believe should be the European Union. So there is a pressure from, from, from bottom up, I would say, and the Parliament in, in the Netherlands has reacted to that. Thank you very much. Um, let's take a look at the council for a moment and at article 70 eu uh, which allows for the council to decide on sanctions against a member state that is found to violate core values of the european union um, article 7 proceedings have been triggered against poland and hungary and are still pending but they have proven to be extremely hard to achieve uh, politically does that mean the burden of preserving the rule of law is exclusively on the ecj um, at the moment, and what can the the how much can the ECJ do um, from from the perspective of the Commission, uh, Commissioner Reinders? Yes, uh, I will answer to to the possibility to act with the Council because we have two possibilities, in fact, uh, the ECG with the infringement proceedings and the Council. But I must react uh, because the Professor Pesh said uh, too little, too late, and he was speaking about first a decision of 8th of April. But it's a decision on the request of the Commission. Uh, we have decided to go to the court to ask interim measures. And it was a decision of the court on the basis of a request from the Commission. It's on the basis of an action from the Commission, first of all. And so we have asked to suspend all the disciplinary proceedings. Now there are a debate. There are debates about the two possible ways. I know that there are some people saying, why not 
to go back to the court to ask for fines in such a way. And I've seen also that the new procedure are more in line with uh, another kind of process to lift, uh, about the lifting of immunity. And so we have decided to go again to the court about another part of the Muslim law, because we are sure that we need to have such a solid basis to act against this kind of new procedure. But again, on the basis of a request from the commission today, I, sent, uh, I said we, we decide to send a, uh, a new uh, letter in the procedure to go to the court about this part of the Muslim law. So on the one hand, you have a disciplinary proceeding, and on the other hand, we have a, a more criminal proceeding with the lifting of immunity. And so I see the professor Paris was reacting, but it's a possible discussion. And so now we have taken again the decision to act and not just to make a report, to act and to go again to the court. And again, I want to insist on the fact that a decision of the ECG is not coming from nothing. Yeah? It's coming from a request from the commission. Uh, I've asked, uh, I'm just from one year in my mandate, but I've asked again at the beginning of this year to, uh, to go to the court uh, for interim measures. The same for the procedure about Hungary. Uh, we are following uh, all the, the, the decisions about Hungary, and now we try to have, of course, a cooperation like with all the member states with Hungary, but just about the, the legislation on the NGOs, we have sent two letters in September and October, if we don't receive a satisfactory reaction from uh, Hungary about the correct implementation, again, we will act. But I know that that takes some time. It's, uh, uh, I fully agree that sometimes it's quite long. The other question is about the member states. And I will say that it's the first time that it's possible to have a real debate uh, at the council level about the rule of law. Because uh, I said uh, in my previous capacity, I've tried different times uh, to put the discussion on the rule of law uh, 10 years ago about Hungary uh, on the table of the council. But now I have seen that it's possible with the rule of law report to engage a real debate in the Geneva Council with all the member states on the rule of law. And yesterday we, we did the same with the justice ministers. It's quite new. It's the first time that I've seen exchanges among ministers about the rule of law in the different member states. The second element, it's true, is the Article 7. And the Article 7 procedure, I took part in all the hearings about uh, Hungary and Poland, and then as commissioner now, I tried to come with a state of play. But now it's in the hands of the council. Uh, it's possible to decide, but you know that uh, it's difficult to reach maybe uh, the, the qualified majority or the unanimity in the, in the next phase. But now it's very important to try to see if there's a real majority in the council to, to take a decision on this. And it will be maybe the same later about the conditionality, if we have a mechanism about the conditionality. But you see that here also, for the first time, there is a real discussion on the rule of law at the level of the European Council, at the level of head of state and head of government, because you have uh, seen that on the proposal of the Commission from 2018, it was possible to have, of course, a real support of the European Parliament, and a qualified majority in the council to do that. And now, of course, there are discussions in the hand of the German presidency about the way to go forward with the budget, with the MFF and the next generation EU. But again, we have two possibilities, main possibilities to act at the commission level, to go to the court, and we are doing that. And of course, it's true that to have a robust argumentation and to have a success before the court is sometimes longer than it was maybe uh, 
the, the hope of many uh, participants in many debates. And on the other hand, we need to, to, to convince that the rule of law is not just for the Commission, the Court of Justice, or the Parliament, but it's also for the Council. And in the Article 7, we try to do that, but we try also to do that with the rule of law report and maybe tomorrow with the conditionality. Uh, it's the first time that we have such a kind of debate uh, with the member states. And I want to conclude to say that I will go also to all the national parliaments. I have started to go to the different national parliaments to discuss about the rule of law, not only with the majority, but also with the opposition. And uh, I know that we try to do that with many, uh, many kind of other stakeholders in many debates with the civil society. But it's very strange. For the first time, uh, due to the pressure that we have put with the rule of law report and with uh, the, the, the proposal of a regulation on the conditionality, it's possible to organize a real pressure at the council level. Uh, of course, I don't know. And the last point, maybe, because I don't want to... Uh, uh, don't answer on this. I follow so very closely the discussion in the Dutch Parliament. If we receive a request from uh, the, the Netherlands as a member state, of course you know that it will be a request first to the Commission to organize a discussion with the concerned member states and in such a case the Netherlands, and then it will be possible uh, to go to the court. But till now it's a debate at the uh, parliament level in the Netherlands, we will see if we will have uh, an action coming from the member states or from the Netherlands later. I don't know. We will see. It's possible, uh, but debates in national parliament, I've seen a lot of time also in uh, a different kind of national parliaments about the rule of law, but we will see. And if it's the case, we will do the job, of course. We will also at the commission level do our part of the job because there is a procedure uh, in the treaties uh, for the commission in such a process uh, on the basis of requests by a member state. Uh, thank you. I've seen a, a reaction by Katarina Bale on this. Yes, thank you very much. Um, I just wanted to to ask you for your um, uh, for your opinion because the German presidency uh, had announced to put um, the the monitoring the results of the monitoring on the agenda of of the council uh, five countries at a time and discuss uh, what comes of it out of it. Um, and apparently uh, in this mandate uh, in December, it's maybe not going to start because all the other issues still have to be um, have, have to be solved and that will probably take up uh, all the time that, that there is left. So my question would be if, if you have a feeling that the Portuguese um, presidency will, will, will take up that over or do you think this will kind of end, uh, die slowly. Um, I know, that, of course, you are going to all the member states, uh, and I think that's a very good idea, but you know also that we as a parliament um, 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 thought it would be helpful to uh, include country-specific recommendations into the monitoring report to have something more concrete to discuss about. So um, maybe you consider that for the next time. Uh, no, I want to be very concrete. Uh, we have organized such a debate. So, uh, on the basis the, of the annual, uh, the first annual report on the rule of law, uh, published on the 30th of September, it was possible to organize first in the Geneva Council uh, a general debate, uh, an horizontal debate, in October. But in November, we have had already uh, a peer review on five member states, so Belgium, Bulgaria, 
Czech Republic, Denmark, and Estonia. So we have started in the protocol order, except Germany due to the fact that uh, the presidency for the moment. But with the Portuguese, we'll continue with five other member states, including Germany and France, to give two examples. But we will continue, it will be the same with the Slovenian uh, presidency. So the goal is to organize a discussion member state by member state, because we have a country chapter uh, about all the 27, doing uh, maybe five uh, presidencies. But of course, we have started also in the last days, uh, the preparatory works for the second report, because you know that it's a cycle now. So, in fact, we try to install a permanent debate about the rule of law. I want to say that, uh, it's, again, it's quite new, also about uh, uh, individual member states. Uh, I remember I have had also the opportunity to serve as Minister of Finance during 12 years. We have had constant debates about the budgetary situation of the member states, the structural reforms, but not about the values, about the Copenhagen criteria, about the rule of law. And for the first time, we install such a kind of debate. But what is true? That in, main, in, in the large majority of member states, we have punctual concerns, and we engage a real dialogue to try to improve the situation. And you know that. In Germany, like in many other countries, we try to see what is possible to do to improve the situation on some specific issues. And there are debates on that. I've had debates in Germany, like in Netherlands, like in other countries, about the independence of the prosecutors, to give an example. And is it needed to change or not? There's a real debate. In some member states, we have a more systemic issue. And that is more difficult. And when we have a systemic issue, we need to go to the court first to receive a positive answer from the court about infringement proceedings. But we try also to explain the situation during the Article 7 procedure, and you know there, it's more in the hands of the, the Council. And on such a procedure, we have had a state of play during the German presidency, and we have discussed about the possibility to organize hearings. It's maybe about that that you are speaking about uh, the cancellation on the agenda. And it will be maybe uh, not uh, before the end of the year, it will be maybe next year. I must say that <laughs> a hearing with virtual me uh, tools, it's not easy on the table. But uh, we need to continue that. But it's in the hand of the Council, of course, to take a decision. And then uh, we will uh, manage the same situation about the conditionality. But it's true that it's very important to engage a real debate, member states by member state. And uh, not just to exchange the best practices, but to see what are the criticisms coming from the other member states about the situation in one, but in, major, in the majority of the member states, it's uh, with very specific concerns on different elements. It's true that in other member states, it's a more uh, general approach, a more systemic approach. When we discuss with the Polish authorities about the independence of the judiciary, we have totally different views, and we are sure that we need to continue to proceed before the court. Thank you very much. Um, I think one institution we have we've left out so far um, has been the European Parliament. What is the role or the place of the Europe, uh, European Parliament in um, the current rule of law struggle, uh, Vice President Bali? Well, um, when it comes to rule of law, the Parliament has less possibilities than the other two institutions have. So uh, we can launch uh, an Article 7 procedure, uh, which we have. Um, we can we can um, discuss and and uh, issue resolutions. We can um, take part in any kind of public discussion, but but we cannot, uh, for example, launch an infringement procedure, which we would love to do, 
Um, and um, we are uh, unfortunately not involved very much in the in the new um, conditionality mechanism either. And this, I have to say, also has something to do with this approach by by the Hungarian and Polish government and the and the pressure that they are putting on um, on the European Union because um, another they have this narrative rule of law is a matter of subsidiarity and they have a, another quite new narrative um, that I've only noticed uh, during the last two, two weeks, which is actually to say um, the council took a decision in July uh, on the rule of law uh, conditionality and then the parliament, um, well, what would you say in English? Um, manipulated it was one of the notions that people use, Polish politicians and also um, on a panel discussion, a Polish professor who's obviously close to, to the peace party used. Um, so, so the parliament is then manip manipulating or obstructing or destroying um, the, uh, the, the decision of the council. So what they are trying to do is Unfortunately, I believe following a bit the German Constitutional Court and its decision on the 5th December to say um, the, uh, the interpretation of um, European law and, and taking decisions in the European Union, um, it should be in the hands of the Council, in the hands of the Member States. They have, they have referred to that politically um, before. But now they are trying to build a narrative that actually the true um, will of the European Union is being enshrined in decisions of the Council and the Parliament is actually um, kind of uh, a disturbing element, um, a, a, a destructive element. This is what they are trying to, to come up with. So this is one of the reasons why I was very unhappy that, uh, that the Parliament um, does not play any significant role in the new um, conditionality mechanism because um, I'm, I'm absolutely convinced of the good faith of Commissioner Reinders and Commissioner Jourova, but of course the, the Commission is also a, um, a body that is kind of, uh, um, well, that has to uh, arranged with the council um, in practice and um, it's it's not by accident that it's mostly the European Parliament that is the most vocal about um, the rule of law um, because well we are we are elected by the people and we're only responsible towards them and and um, so we 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 are, are able to act and we are, I think, also expected to act a bit differently. So, so if it's only in the hands of the Commission and the Council, I think there is this danger of, of you know, finding compromises, having a dialogue. I'm, I'm, I mean, I wanted to become a diplomat. I think dialogue is, is terrific and, and, and compromises are fine. Um, but as Professor Pesh also referred to a bit, um, you can have compromises on, on anything, on really anything, on financial issues, on, on, on uh, posts, on, on, um, on, on issues, 
but not on the fundamentals of the European Union. There is just no way of compromising on the rule of law because it would destroy the fundament of our, our union. So this is why I would prefer the European Parliament to have to play a, a more important role. Thank you very much. Um, I think at a certain point um, in every discussion about the, re the action, the rule of law struggle or crisis in the European Union, uh, one always hears we need to go um, to the court. We need to call on the ECJ. Professor Pesch, do we witness the juridification of what is a political conflict in essence um, at the moment? Interesting question, uh, not an easy one. Um, I, I think I would like, to, before I answer this question, there was another question I wanted to answer, if you don't mind me uh, answering both at the same time. It's about also the Court of Justice, whether the Court of Justice can actually uh, help with uh, what I have called rule of law backsliding. I think it can do a lot to contain rule of law backsliding, but the court cannot act if it doesn't get a sufficient number of requests from the commission. So essentially, there is a lot the Court of Justice can do to contain rule of law backsliding, but we need, first of all, a proactive commission willing to act promptly and with uh, actions of the appropriate scope. And to some extent, I think one of the key lessons of the past 10 years of rule of law backsliding is when it comes to the destruction of judicial independence, time is absolutely of the essence. Now, what we are seeing today is Polish judges being suspended under false pretenses, being subject to pay cuts. Uh, we're seeing uh, lawyers being suspended. We see the right of practice of one Polish lawyer, which was unlawfully suspended. We have seen uh, Polish prosecutors being demoted, uh, being removed from their position, or uh, being moved uh, four or 500 miles from where they work. So time is absolutely of the essence because we have real victims of rule of law backsliding. Now, it is true the Commission has initiated, uh, and certainly the Commission is much more active than the Council. Don't get me started on the Council. Uh, but this is because I'm a friend of the Commission that I'm being very critical of the Commission. Um, now, there is one example where the Commission did exactly the right thing at the appropriate speed. And this is, in fact, when the, court, the Commission was faced uh, with the purge of the, or the attempted purge of the Polish Supreme Court. And we saw in that very case exactly the template the Commission should seek to emulate in every single instance where judicial independence is under attack. Now, just to give you some dates very briefly, uh, we had uh, a Polish legislation adopted in April 2018, infringement action launched in July 2018, uh, and the action referred to the Court of Justice in September 2018. I would like to see the same kind of speed in relation to the Muslim law. We haven't seen this kind of sense of urgency as regards the Muslim law, and the Muslim law, in my experience, or at least as far as I can see, I have never seen such a blatant attack on the most fundamental elements of the EU legal order. For me, the Muslim law essentially has organized a pole exit from the EU legal order. This is why I've been very critical of the lack of what I've seen from the outside. There is no sense of urgency also in relation to Polish judges being suspended, being harassed, being bullied, being intimidated, not only by Polish authorities, but by also the media outlets they control. So this is why we need the commission, I'm afraid, uh, this is, the Commission is doing a lot, but it needs to do more. Why? Because we are in the face of a very unprecedented threat to the most fundamental uh, elements of the EU legal system. So I would say this is in fact what the Commission did in 2018. I'd like to see more of the same in relation to every single measure 
targeting uh, the judiciary. And there are, I can think uh, of plenty of additional infringement actions uh, which could be undertaken by the Commission. Um, I've heard the argument that uh, the Commission is keen not to overload, and that's not an argument made by Commissioner Reinders, it's just an argument I heard during discussions, that we should not overload the Court of Justice with infringement cases. But I don't accept this argument. In fact, uh, uh, since the rule of law crisis in Poland began, let's say at the end of 2015, we have had essentially an infringement case uh, on judicial independence ground period. This is good, but not good enough, I'm afraid. In the case of Hungary, uh, we have had less than one infringement action per year since 2010 as regards values laid down in Article 10. Again, not good enough uh, as far as I'm concerned because after 10 years of relative uh, uh, inaction, uh, Hungary is no longer a democracy according to democracy experts. This is why I'm just saying again, time is absolutely of the essence. The court can do a lot to contain the damage or attacks on the rule of law, but uh, we need the Commission to submit more applications for interim measures. I do salute the application for interim measures uh, submitted by Commissioner Rangers as regards the disciplinary chamber. We will have to agree to disagree. I think, uh, as far as I'm concerned, in agreement with uh, ECJ uh, Judge Savian, uh, the ECJ order of April 2020 is being openly violated uh, with disguised disciplinary measures uh, resulting in the immediate adoption of disciplinary sanctions. We need to do more to save Polish judges from an authoritarian government keen on destroying judicial independence. Time is absolutely of the essence. Uh, the Commission can do a lot more, I think, uh, and the Court of Justice is ready to help, but the Court of Justice needs uh, applications. Uh, so let me emphasize again, sorry, at the risk of repeating myself, that time is ab absolutely of the essence because we have real victims of what I have called rule of law backsliding. Maybe if I may, on, on, on different points. First of all, because I was listening uh, carefully uh, to Professor Pesh, but also to Katarina Barley, uh, I want to uh, give maybe an argument to Katarina Barley about the narrative that uh, it's possible to, to receive from uh, different actors in, about the conditionality. Hungary have, has created a similar narrative for the distribution mechanism for refugees. And uh, the Court of Justice rejected the Hungarian request to uh, uh, have an annulation of the EU legislation for the same kind of violation of, of the EU uh, Council, the Open Council uh, uh, conclusion. So uh, you need to, to, to continue to work in the same way because it's uh, not because there's a narrative about the violation uh, of the conclusions of the European Council that there is uh, a real uh, uh, argument. And it was the case about the uh, asylum uh, procedure it was possible for the Court of Justice to reject the argumentation of Hungary about that. Of course, the, the reference is the AU law and not uh, just the conclusion of the Council. The second element I want to raise, it's useful to have, like you have done many times in the European Parliament, a pressure coming from the European Parliament. It's a political pressure. We are knowing that for the moment, the Article 7 uh, is, first of all, a political pressure to put the problems in the hands of the Member States. We need to do the same at the national uh, uh, at, the at the level of the national parliaments, it's also a problem with the political pressure in the political parties because it's also a political issue for the different political families to, uh, to be confronted with the rule of law in some member states. And about the, the actions before the call, I don't want to say that we are doing uh, all what is necessary uh, in a good timing, but we try and we try to again to go back to the court now. Today we have take the decision to go back to the court about the so-called Muslim law. But to give us an example, I've seen during many years 
a discussion about the so-called golden passport. Uh, I'm in charge since one year, the commission. I've started uh, from the beginning of this year, a discussion with Cyprus, Malta, and Bulgaria, because there's also a problem in Bulgaria, about the golden passport. We have seen that it was very difficult to reach an agreement for a phasing out. And at the end, we have decided, after a dialogue with the member states, to go to the court. And it's very clear, of course, that takes some months, but if you compare with discussions in some years, uh, about Hungary, it's quite the same. I said, we have had, uh, I remember that in the Geneva Council in 2012, in the beginning of the year, in January and February, discussions already about the possible use of Article 7. And so what is new for the moment, maybe due to a real crisis about the rule of law, it's that we have the capacity uh, to organize a real debate on the rule of law and the real elections, not only before the Court of Justice, but also with the member states at the level of the Council. And we are knowing that there are a lot of things in the hands of the Council. It's not by coincidence that we have for the moment a real blockage about the MFF and the next generation EU due to the fact that two member states, and maybe with a third one now, two member states doesn't want to have a conditionality uh, between the rule of law and the budgetary uh, situation. And I must confess that I will have, I'm in charge, to install uh, the new uh, European Public Prosecutor Office. And so we'll try to start the operations at the beginning of 2021. We are in discussion with all the member states to do that. But you know that we have 22 member states on board, not all, some for classical reasons of opting on in criminal matters like uh, Denmark, Sweden or Ireland, but Hungary and Poland are not on board. And if we start uh, two years ago to discuss about the conditionality, it's a, for a part due to that, to the fact that it was impossible to have Hungary and Poland on board of the new European packet, European Prosecutor Office. It's quite very, very strange, but now we are able to go not only to the court, but to engage a real debate with the member states. And again, in the Council, at the level of some national parliaments, you have explained again the situation in the Netherlands, but we will do that also in all the national parliaments because there is the opportunity to discuss not only with the majority, but also with the opposition. In Poland, to be concrete, we have had many contacts with the Senate because you know that it's not the same kind of uh, majority in the two assemblies for the moment in, in Poland. So again, uh, it's true that it's uh, uh, important to go to the court, and I want to confirm that uh, I don't want to use the argument of the overloading of, uh, of the court. I'm sure that there is a real openness in the court to receive actions from the Commission about the rule of law. I have had uh, the uh, opportunity to discuss a lot of time with uh, uh, the members of the court. I'm sure that there is a real uh, uh, openness for the, from the court to, to receive uh, we different uh, requests from the Commission about that. So it's not a reason to don't go to the court. We need to do that. But again, uh, I was given the, the example of the golden passport because I know that there also it was a very long discussion. And in some months, uh, we have tried with the new Commission to say, we engage with the Member States. If it's not with a real result, we go to the court and it's done. Thank you very much. Uh, any reactions to that? Well, we don't have very much time left. Um, I, yes. I would love to know, um, now that we have Hungary and Poland blocking, um, blocking the financing uh, with their veto, 
um, can we be sure that it is not on Article 7 that a, a, a so-called compromise uh, will be found? If, if you want, it's possible to say that I'm sure that uh, on both sides, Parliament and uh, the Commission, there is no intention to move on the conditionality first. We have uh, a very good compromise, if I may. I know that uh, it was better for the Commission and certainly for the Parliament to work with a reverse qualified majority, but we have a broad scope, we have a possibility to act, and I'm sure that we have a good solution coming from the trilogue uh, on the conditionality. So there's no intention to move on this. Uh, on the Article 7, the procedures are ongoing. And so the only one way is to continue to organize hearings and state of play. And, uh, and then it will be possible or not to have a majority to take a decision. But I don't see uh, an intention to organize a compromise on this. Uh, the only one way is to convince the uh, two member states, the other one now, to agree on the budget. But uh, I've said some times ago, and I know that all the possibilities are on the table, it's in the hands of the German presidency for the moment to, to try to discuss and to convince. So it's, uh, we have made the job at the commission level, it's in the hands of uh, the um, German presidency to try to convince the two member states. But I've just recalled that some years ago, for budgetary reasons, uh, when it was impossible to act with 27 member states, at that time it was with UK, without Croatia, the discussion was to organize a process with 25th. And so I don't want to do that. Of course, it's, our request is to have an agreement uh, of the 27 member states about the budget, but all the possible solutions are on the table. If, it, if it's needed to, to find uh, new creative solutions, why not? But certainly not against the rule of law and certainly not against the conditionality or the actual uh, procedure that we are organizing. And uh, we will see. Uh, the main issue is to see if it's possible for the uh, uh, German presidency for the moment to convince the two member states to agree on the, 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 the DMFF and the next generation EU. If it's not, we need to think about creative uh, solutions, but for the budget, to save the budget, because you know that we need to, to organize a recovery uh, in Europe. Uh, we have huge problems in many member states due to the pandemic and due to uh, the social and economic consequence of the pandemic. Vice President Barley, Commissioner Reinders and Professor Pesch, thank you very much for being on our show today and for the exciting discussion. It was a pleasure. Next time. <laughs> thank you too. And thanks to all of you for listening to We Need to Talk About the Rule of Law. Please join us again for our final episode on financial sanctions and the State of the Union next week. See you on Wednesday.